Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible. So today I want to talk about two men who made a difference. Two men who made a difference. In June of 1720, John Wesley entered Christ Church College, Oxford. John's younger brother, it was Charles, soon formed a group called the Holy Club, which met weekly. They were named Methodists by their fellow students because of their methodical way in which they lived. Later on, after his graduation, Wesley took a trip to the American colonies and he came to know the Moravian settlers. During his travels across the sea, they came upon a massive storm and that mast, the mast of the ship was ripped off the ship while the other's passengers worried themselves, the Moravians prayed and sang hymns. Wesley was in awe of their incredible strength and faith. The Moravians left a lasting impression on his heart. In fact, it led to his conversion. Then when he returned to England a few years later from the States, after an unsuccessful trip over there, when he returned to England, actually that was when he was converted after his return to England, he came to admire the evangelist work of John Whitfield, who gave sermons in the open air to people excluded from church. This inspired Wesley to begin offering his own non-traditional sermons, seeking to reach a wider range of listeners, and it led to an incredible ministry. Over his lifetime, he wrote 250,000 miles on horseback. That's a quarter of a million miles he rode on horseback preaching the gospel, the equivalent of going around the globe 10 times. He preached in fields, houses, and even town halls. Wesley continued evangelizing until his death in 1791. But what difference did he make? The title of this morning's message is Two Men Who Made a Difference. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at verse 19 here. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. <clears throat> for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he had served me with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly, and I will read the rest in a little bit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for two men who made a difference. Thank you, God, for the, the man that made a difference in my life, the people that made a difference in my life. Lord, I do pray you take and use your word. And Lord, there are people who have shone through history. We talk about it in Sunday school class about Samuel and how he made a difference in his generation. Lord, I pray that we'll be able to make a difference in ours. Help us not come up with reasons why we shouldn't make a difference, but rather help us come up with reasons why we should. Would you bless your word? Would you help me? You know how much I need your help this morning. Lord God, help us all as we meet together. And I pray we'll hear from God. May your Holy Spirit speak very clearly. Lord, may frail man be forgotten. May Jesus Christ be exalted. May the Spirit of God have freedom. And may Christ be heard this morning. May your word be understood. And I pray it be received by hearts that are ready to hear in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share with you, number one, is two men that made a difference. And I didn't read all the text. I'll read the rest later. But Timothy, Timothy is the first person we're going to talk about. Timothy was incomparable. He was incomparable. Look at verse 20 again. 
It says here, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally <clears throat> care for your state. He was incomparable because he naturally cared. He genuinely cared for those he was ministering to. No one normally cares for the needs of the flock more than the pastor. He is the one who births many of the lambs. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. What Paul meant was, because of my ministry with you, you got saved. I begot you, you're my son in the faith, and I really, really care for your soul. The pastor then labors for their maturity in Christ. Galatians 4.19 My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And the picture is used of the, the lady who's giving birth to a child. Is the pastor giving birth to, 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 to offspring, if you like, to, to converts and, and seeing them established in the faith. It's like childbirth for the pastor. That's the picture given in Scripture, according to Galatians chapter 4. That's certainly how the Apostle Paul felt. He thinks of the flock all the time. He wants to know they're okay. He wants to know they're making good decisions. If they're not making the decisions that, are, uh, that they could do or should do, he, his heart aches. That was the Apostle Paul. First, First Thessalonians 3, 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I said to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, he said. I just wanted to know you're doing okay. I just wanted to know you're going forward. I just want to know you're not slipping. I just want to know you're not struggling. First Thessalonians 3 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. His heart was so burdened for the congregation that he, he viewed their spiritual condition as something that gave him life. Again, he said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He was just, he was just all he was worried about, how are they doing? How are the Philippians doing? How are the Thessalonians doing? How are the Corinthians doing? How are the Galatians doing? How are the Colossians doing? Now, he didn't start the Colossian church, but he said he has great conflict. He said in Colossians, I have great conflict. Though I haven't seen you, he said, my heart is burdened for you. The pastoral role is like a fatherly role. That's why pastors are called elders in the Bible, to be looked up to. Like parents, they encourage, they comfort, they testify. First Thessalonians 2 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now, if you're a parent, you get this. Parents don't always get it right. Pastors don't always get it right. But every man of God who's worth his salt genuinely cares for the flock and he will do whatever it takes to help the people of God avoid pitfalls and help them to walk with the Lord, their shepherd. That was Paul. Those who fill in for the pastors are not the same. Some might be better preachers, but they don't have the same care. A friend of mine who's an evangelist, his name is Jim, Jim Van Gelder, he was preaching in a church. And uh, one of the people came up to him at the end of the sermon, he said, that was such a great sermon, would you be your pastor? And he, oh, this is getting loud, is it? That's quite a reaction. But he, 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 he said, would you be our pastor? And he said, you wouldn't want me as your pastor. He was an evangelist, and there's a different role. 
He loved to preach. He loved to go to church and stay there for a while, a week, whatever, and then maybe a few days, and then leave again. That was his thing. I've come across a number of missionaries <clears throat> who went away for a year to the States to report to, to churches that sent them, and they came back to nothing. That's a hard thing. I thank God we've never had that experience. In fact, I would say the opposite. We've, when we've had further replacement missionaries come in and fill in for us, it's always been a blessing to the church and they, they, they've been able to maintain and keep people encouraged. I think they've loved you well and taken care for you well. I'm really glad. It makes my heart happy to hear that and know that. I'm always asking questions when I'm not here. I want to know how everybody is. But just as it's not the same for, for, for um, the pastor or the, the fertile replacement missionary as it is for the pastor, it's not the same for me when I preach all over America and I'm, I'm preaching in 30, 40 different churches. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not home, is it? Timothy wasn't just a pulpit filler, brethren. It says here in verse 20 here, we're looking at verse 20. He said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He wasn't just a pulpit filler. He had the heart of a pastor, just like Paul did. He genuinely cared. That's what the Bible says. It says naturally. He said, no man who will naturally care for your state. No man will genuinely care. In other words, when it says care, it means he worried for the sheep. He was worried for them. He wanted to make sure they were all okay. He was incomparable. Because he naturally cared for the, 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 the sheep. But secondly, he was incomparable because he sought Christ first. Look at verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Have you ever noticed that God has called the husband to love his wife as himself? Did you ever see that before? God calls the husband to love his wife as himself. Ephesians 5.33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Now why would God call a husband to love his wife as himself? Because self-love is the highest form of love, humanly speaking, naturally. According to scripture, most men love themselves more than anyone else. He may care for his marriage and his family, but my money is my money. And he likes to spend his money on his hobbies. Or, he might say, my pleasure is my pleasure, or my time is my time, and he likes to get away to his man cave, if he has one, and he'll hang out there for as long as he can without getting caught. That's the man. When he comes home from a long day's work, he just wants to relax. Don't talk to me right now. I'm watching whatever he's watching. And he'll like to just unwind for an hour or two or three, or four. We all have that kind of love for ourselves naturally, and getting saved does not automatically remove that love that we have for ourselves. That's why scripture has called us to, for as, men, as men to love our wives as ourselves, because loving ourselves is quite natural. But I also want to say, I think it's fair to say that women also struggle with that same issue with self-love. Perhaps they love um, themselves more than anyone else. But do you know, verse 21, where it says here that all seek their own, I think that response, that, that is for everyone. I think everyone does seek their own. I think we're all naturally lovers of self. 
It's natural, isn't it? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's, it's natural for all us as sinners to, to think of ourselves first. And those who are so busy taking care of their own, because the Bible says, verse 21, for all seek their own. Those who are so busy taking care of their own don't have the time to be taking care of the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they're too busy taking care of themselves. Want to make sure they're looking okay. They're all, all their needs are being met. That's just on their minds all the time. But brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning that Timothy wasn't that way. The Bible says all seek their own. And not the things of Jesus Christ. But the implication is Timothy was not that way. Instead of being selfish, he was selfless. And I can tell you why he was selfless, brethren. He made a decision to be selfless. Because it's natural for us to be selfish. It's not natural for us to be selfless. And you will never do that if you don't know Christ. You will never be able to do that. Verse 21, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And you will not put Jesus Christ first unless you know him. And I'm going to ask you the question this morning, do you know Christ? Do you know him? I'm not asking you, have you been saved? I'm asking you, do you know Christ? I'm not asking you, are you born again? I'm not asking you, did you pray a prayer? I'm not asking you, did you respond in some sort of a meeting? Or did you respond in, in some other way, shape, or form? Do you know Christ? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Because God has called us to have an intimate relationship with him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And God, knowing that we as sinners would go our own way, provided a way for us to be forgiven. And that way is the way of the cross. I was talking to a man yesterday. Well, not yesterday. I'm trying to think of the days. It was like Thursday, I think it was. And he was saying to me, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. He's, when we were over in Scotland, he said I wasn't raised in a Christian home or anything like it. In fact, it was atheistic. But he made this point. He said, I've always felt sorry for Jesus that he had to die on the cross. I thought, that's interesting. There's someone that God is working on. Grew up with no God in his life, grew up with no God in his home, yet the Lord is working on his heart. And I was able to share the gospel with him. And I said, here's your thought for today. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all your sins. And he said, I'm going to think about that today. Pray that Ian gets saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Be a wonderful friend to get saved. God has worked in people's lives. But do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? Do you love him? Do you have that intimacy with him? He died on the cross, not so you can feel sorry for him. He died on the cross so he could take all your sin upon himself. So he could wash your sins away. So he could bring you into this wonderful relationship with him so you can be intimate with him. God wants you to have an intimacy with him. Have a sweet, close, very close relationship with him because it will change your life forever. <laughs> Timothy. It could be said about others, all seek their own, but not Timothy. Not the things of Jesus Christ, but not Timothy. Timothy did seek those things. The story is told of a man called John R. Rice. I'm reading a book by him at the moment on prayer. But he had his house sold off. This was back in the, I think, early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he remortgaged his house three different times to help missionaries. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but once I pay off the, 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 the loan over my house, I'm done, right? 
But he remortgaged his house three different times so he could meet the needs of missionaries. All men seek their own. All seek their own. All, everybody, male and female, seek their own. Not the needs of Jesus Christ. But I think, I think John arises was a bit more like Timothy, don't you? Timothy was incomparable because he naturally cared, because he sought Christ first. But he was also incomparable because he was supportive. Look at verse 22. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the father, he had served me with the, with the gospel. Every Paul needed him. He was like a son to the apostle Paul. The oldest family business in the world, you, this is gonna blow your mind because it blew my mind. The oldest family business in the world is in Osaka in Japan. And you'll never guess how old the family business is. Over 1,500 years old. Wow! This family business was begun in 578 AD. It has built temples and castles all over Japan for the past 15 centuries. Congo Gummy Construction is the name of it. Congo Gummy Construction. And you know, there's something about a family business where people are in it for each other. Family businesses survive, brethren, and they even thrive because of the participation and of the support of the family members. Ministries are also immensely helped, and ministries can thrive and survive and be blessed because of the participation of the family members. Brother Ben Shore and I were having a good conversation about this. I mean, we didn't talk a lot because we were so busy working. But you know, he said, I really miss my kids. He has two older kids in college. We have two older kids in college. They're in the same college. And you know, we were able to share that. And he said they were such a help in the ministry. Such a help. Folks, I want to tell you something. Every Paul needs a Timothy. The people will get behind and say, I want to support you. I want to get behind you. I want to help this. The Bible says here, as a father, or as a son was with a, with a, with a father, that was the way Paul was, or Timothy, should I say, was with Paul. You know the proof of him, verse 22, as a son with the father, he had served me in the gospel. Paul, Timothy, should I say, was supportive. He was incomparable. That's one person who was incomparable. I want to talk about another man, another man that made a difference. His name is Epaphroditus. We're going to read those verses now in a minute. So Timothy was incomparable. Epaphroditus was irreplaceable. Look at verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye shall see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such a reputation, because for the work of Christ... He was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus was irreplaceable. 
Why was he irreplaceable? Number one, he was irreplaceable because he served Paul's needs. Look at verse 25 again. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, my fellow savior, soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Now, it's not like Paul was sitting back there and saying, you know, I'd love a steak. You know, when we were doing some work on the, uh, you know, mean steak. You know, the, uh, it, it, the illustrations in Gospel Baptist Church are either football, maybe rugby when the Rugby World Cup is on, and then steak. Okay, so here's my steak illustration. So we were over in Scotland and doing some work for the, for the shores, and they're uh, glad to do it. And I said, and, and uh, Katie, the, the, the pastor's wife, said, so, um, is there any preferences for breakfast? I said, yes, steak and eggs, you know? Because I'm only joking. She said, yes, strip loin. I said, absolutely, strip loin. Probably should have said T-bone. But anyway, so we, we, we had breakfast, and we had to fry up every morning. And they, I said, you're treating us so well. We're going to come back again. You know that, you know? And so, uh, so we had lunch, and uh, guess what was for lunch? Steak pie. It was so good. It was steak pie from the butcher. Oh man. So there was leftovers for dinner and you know they were having sandwiches. No, forget about the sandwiches, I'll take some more steak. It was so good. But anyway, here's a paphrodite. He was ministering to Paul's wants. Now I can say my want was steak. Okay, and I got what I wanted. That was great. But Paul's wants were not just what his wants were, they were his needs. He had great needs. When Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, immediately she ministered unto him, Matthew 8, verse 15. Why did, did, did Simon Peter's mother-in-law minister to the Lord? Because he had needs. The women from Galilee followed Jesus and ministered unto him, Mark 15, 41, of their substance. Although the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, he gave up his carpentry work at the age of 30. He gave up his livelihood to enter into full-time ministry. He spent all his time teaching, preaching, evangelizing, helping others. And by the way, brethren, he didn't spend all his time turning stones into bread so he could eat. He didn't spend all his time doing miracles so he could satisfy his, the needs of his belly. He had to eat normally and naturally, like you and I have to eat normally and naturally. But he had no hours in the day left for his livelihood, for a livelihood at least that was paid. The Apostle Paul was the same. So other people ministered to his needs. 1 Corinthians 9.14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And that's why Brother Declan Fanagan needs to give up his job and he needs to be supported by his church and by other churches who are able to help out because he needs to live of the gospel, not be doing the accounts of Ulster Bank. Now, Ulster Bank is closed. He's finishing. He's closing out their accounts now. We all get that. But the point is, he needs to live of the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. For the scripture says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. It's only fair. If people are ministering to you spiritual things, you need to minister back to them physical things. Isn't that fair? That's fair. But brethren, Epaphroditus was one of those people who really took that seriously. But most people honestly do not think about the needs of people like the Apostle Paul. They just get out of life. Most people do not consider it their responsibility, but Epaphroditus did. And when others refused to put their hands in their pockets, Epaphroditus stepped in and took that burden on himself. Look at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, the Bible says in verse 30, he was nigh unto death. 
not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. And what Paul is saying is, he worked himself half to death. In fact, he couldn't die and work himself half to death. Who knows? Maybe he couldn't preach a sermon to save his life. But he ended up being indispensable to those who could preach because he supported them. I thank God for those who are support the gospel ministry with their hands. Dexter, John, and I spent several days working on Pastor Ben Choi's church building. Do you know why he has a church building? Because of, a, of an Epaphroditus. There was a fellow over in the States, a couple over in the States, and they just said to themselves, let's help this man out. They need a church building. And you know what? They gave him most of the money for that building. That's serious sacrifice, isn't it? Thank God for Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus has paid my tax bill in the past. And Epaphroditus has paid for a replacement car for me before. And Epaphroditus has given me a couple of thousand when I had when I was completely broke. I had no money to put oil in my oil tank. I thank God for Epaphroditus. And brethren, the Epaphroditus in the scriptures here was ministering to the needs of the Apostle Paul. He was irreplaceable because he served Paul's needs. But also he was irreplaceable... Because he was selfless. Look at verse 26. <clears throat> For he longed after you all. And was full of heaviness. Because ye he had heard. That he had been sick. Brethren. He, had, he thought so little of himself. That he was heavy in heart. Worried about the Philippians. Now why was he worried about them? He was worried about them. Because he was worried that they'd be worried about him. And brethren, he, he, he was so laborious, and he worked so hard at what he did, he got sick. And it reminds us of even the most valuable of God's servants can get sick, isn't that right? None of us, no matter how much we serve God, are immune from sickness, disease, and even death. In the mind of Epaphroditus, the Philippians had enough trouble going on in their own lives the last thing they needed to be worried about was about them, about him, should I say. They didn't need to be worried about him. Epaphroditus just didn't think about himself. He didn't think much of himself. He didn't think little of himself. He just didn't think about himself. His great virtue, brethren, was he didn't think about himself at all. He didn't think of himself. He didn't talk about himself. And that's what it means to be selfless. No regard for self, just concern for others. That's a paradise. And the Bible tells us he almost worked himself to death. Verse 27, he, for he indeed, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. I've heard it say before that no one ever died of hard work. Well, I beg to differ on that one. Joseph Stalin had forced labor camps. And uh, you read, uh, according to the New York Times, that cited a Soviet weekly newspaper, four to six million people went into Stalin's labor camps, and many never returned. I think they were worked to death. Our bodies, brethren, can only take so much. And Epaphroditus had his limits. He was irreplaceable because he served Paul's needs. He was irreplaceable because he was selfless. 
but also he was irreplaceable, so Paul sent him back. Finally, he was irreplaceable, so Paul sent him back. Look at verse 28. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Paul had to send him back. Paul needed him. But the Philippians needed him more. The church needed his encouragement. The church needed his example. They needed to see people like Epaphroditus and a sacrificial heart and a sacrificial service and to say, that's someone I want to be like. Because Epaphroditus was a man who made a difference. Maybe he wasn't their pastor, but he was certainly a war-torn soldier. The story is told of an officer who fought in the late wars and he was seated in his comfortable seat in his house suddenly the doorbell rang and a lame and weather beaten soldier stood before him will you buy my book sir he said i do not wish for them was a quick reply and the door was closed the officer resumed his seat but had he not heard that voice before he quickly advanced to the door and upon opening it again, there stood the brave hero of many battles with big tears starting from his eyes. Don't you remember me, Colonel? The main soldier was recognized as one covered with all over with scars who had fought on many a field by the officer's side. Instantly, the door was flung wide open and the veteran was welcomed into the mansion of the opulent officer who with tears in his eyes fell on the hero's neck and embraced him. The scene that followed and the recognition was one never to be forgotten by the colonel. Brethren, Epaphroditus was one of those heroes that the Philippians needed to recognize that they had. Not only could they rejoice that the Lord had given them Epaphroditus, because that's what Paul said. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Verse 28, I said, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him, Again, you may rejoice. They needed to rejoice in what they had. But not only that. But not only did they, could they rejoice that the Lord had given Epaphroditus the strength to return home to them, but they could learn to honor him and follow his example. I think it would be an awful shame to have an Epaphroditus in a church like that and his example not be followed. Wouldn't you agree with that? There's an example to follow. We opened this message this morning speaking about John Wesley. Over his lifetime, he rode a quarter of a million miles on horseback, preached in fields and houses and town halls. Wesley continued evangelizing until his death in 1791. But what difference did he make? Due to his prolific writing, one year his income was a little more than 1,400 pounds. You say, that's nothing. Back then, it was a fortune. He lived on 30 pounds a year. And he stayed living on 30 pounds. What did he do with the rest of the 1,400 year, pounds? He gave it away. Most of the 30,000 pounds, which would be the equivalent of millions and millions, most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned over his lifetime, he had given away. At the point of his death, John Wesley left less than 10 pounds behind, as well as 135,000 members of the Methodist movement and 541 itinerant preachers. There's a man who left a legacy behind 
There's a man who was an example to follow. There's a man who made a difference. This morning we saw Timothy, we saw two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We saw that Timothy naturally cared. I'm going to ask a question. Do you serve out of duty? Or do you genuinely care? Think about that for a little bit. Timothy sought Christ first. Do you seek your own? Or do you seek Christ first? Timothy was supportive. Do you support God's work and just get right behind it? <clears throat> then we saw Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was irreplaceable. Timothy was incompatible. Epaphroditus was irreplaceable. Why? Because he served Paul's needs. Do you look for opportunities to serve God's people? God's men? Because there are needs that I know of right now. I can tell you of some, some of our brethren, some of God's choice servants who've got some needs. He was also selfless. Are you more concerned for others than yourself? That's challenging, isn't it? That was Epaphroditus. Brethren, the church needs more men and women like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who made a difference and became incomparable and irreplaceable. But what about you? You say, I could never be like John Wesley or Epaphroditus. Just be you. Just be you. But while you're being you, be irreplaceable. Be incomparable. Make a difference. And make a determination. Because brethren, we can just go along with our, with, with our blinkers on like this. And just go on with life and get on with our own needs. But people like that don't make a difference. That's not what you need. You need to make a difference. And you need your presence to make a difference. You need your joy to make a difference. You need your finances to make a difference. You need your service to make a difference. You need to leave a mark behind you, brethren. Are you willing to join with the men and women of the Bible who made a difference? Let's go to the Lord of Prayer.